Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for, uh, above all, your birth and your coming into this world, this world of sin, this world of darkness. We thank you, Lord, for the way you break in. And we ask now that you would indeed, in this time, break in. Uh, as we've made it here, thank you for getting us here this morning, even in the midst of all of what we have to do during this busy season. And we ask, Lord, that you would be the one um, to speak this morning. Speak through me, I ask, Lord Jesus. Would you be glorified? Would your name be lifted up? And would you, um, in this time, give us courage and strength and hope for the things that we face, um, the things that we'll um, go back to when we're done with this time of rest and hearing from you. So we ask this for your glory's sake and in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So in preparation this morning, I was thinking about some of the things that I've done over the years that have helped me prepare for the coming of Christmas. I think back to the things in my childhood. Uh, there's always the usual, you know, the buying of gifts, putting up the tree, the decorating of the tree. Even as a child, we got to help my mother decorate the whole house. There were certain little knickknacks and things that we always looked forward to bringing out and putting in a certain spot. I remember there's um, a series of candles that said Noel. And, of course, having a big brother, he would always rearrange them to say Leon. <laughs> or with four of us children, we would fight. We would fight over the Advent calendar. Who gets to open the door on the Advent calendar? That was even before they had chocolate Advent calendars. But we would fight about it. And so thank goodness that 24 can be divided easily by four. So we would each... We would count down till it was our day to take our turn to open the door on the Advent calendar. Well, over the years, all of those things have helped me, but I've also discovered that I'm so, I love, I'm not musical, but I love listening to music. And so listening to Christmas music helps me. Maybe you start listening to your Christmas music in September. Um, but one piece of, or maybe you don't. <laughs> That'd be good. I start listening um, not just to the Christmas carols that I love, but I also start listening to Handel's Messiah at this time, the first part especially. And it's something we grew up doing in my house, and so it's something I love. And I find myself, especially having lived alone for most of the last 15 years, I find myself singing along to it, even though I'm not a trained singer, of course, um, as if it was a pop music song. <laughs> um, do you ever do this when you listen to Handel's Messiah? You know the parts and you get into it and maybe your head, like my head, starts to bobble like you're the conductor and you get really into it. There's something so wonderful about celebrating in that way with such enthusiasm, um, with such joy, and with such expectation. Well, some of my ma favorite movements in Handel's Messiah are numbers 11 and 12 taken from Isaiah 9. What a great way to prepare for Christmas. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that have dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon their path the light shineth. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince, of peace. We hear these names and titles given to this child centuries before he was born. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And when I hear it sung, and I'm singing along too, it's almost as though there's an exclamation mark 
after each title. We hear these titles, and we hear them a lot. We've heard them a lot over the course of our lives, and they tend to fade into the wallpaper of our audio existence. They, things like that, for me, lose their meaning, or I lose my sensitivity to their meaning. So today we're going to zero in on that first title, Wonderful. Sometimes when this passage from Isaiah is read and interpreted, wonderful is understood to be an adjective, a counselor. And that's a good interpretation as well. People aren't sure. Which one is it? And they'll argue. Um, but with, uh, with Handel, um, wonderful is considered a separate title itself. His name is wonderful. This word in the Hebrew is a noun, not an adjective, and it's translated as wonder, specifically. It's a word that points to an extraordinary phenomenon, a paranormal experience, a supernatural breakthrough, something unparalleled, beyond human imagining, and beyond the ability of we humans to accomplish. A miracle, a wonder. If we use this word wonder in English as a noun, we're talking, aren't we, either about the emotion of awe and amazement that something miraculous causes in us, or we're talking about the miracle itself, the amazing thing, that wonder, like the seven wonders of the world, that amazing thing that evokes this emotion of wonder in us. Wonder births wonder in us. Wow. Personally, as many of you know, I've been walking in what I would call a season of wonder. I've seen God's hand miraculously at work in my life in ways that I never could have guessed, I never would have anticipated. I'm amazed how after waiting for so long, at 37, God has brought me a husband. If any of you know our story, you know how miraculous it is that the Lord brought first me and then Scott to Alabama. Last January, just two years after I experienced one rejection that seemed final, just two years later, I was marrying my best friend and my greatest loved, my greatest love. <coughs> and then six months after that, some of you know about this as well, in May of this year, Scott and I nearly died in a terrible car accident. Our lives were miraculously protected. We were m millimeters away from having major injuries or dying. And just one week after that accident, we found out that we were not the only ones in our family to have survived. We found out that there was a new member to our family. We found out that I was pregnant with our first child. What a wonder, what an awesome thing to see life defying death against all odds. God has truly been at work in my life, swiftly and marvelously. And so here I am, lumbering along in my seventh month of pregnancy, <laughs> and during this season of Advent, waiting for the birthday that will change my life, a birthday that I will celebrate the rest of my life just six weeks after Jesus' birthday. Truly, I am amazed. I stand in awe at the miraculous wonder of birth itself, I remember 16 years ago when my sister was pregnant with her first child. She lived in New York City, and she said, Deb, I walk around, and I see thousands of people on the street every day, and I just, 
I, I'm amazed. They each came to be through this same process of birth. That's just weird. That's just like <laughs> sci-fi itself. How is that possible? The marvel of seeing what uh, the human body can do, what God has created the female body to do is amazing. Wow. How wonderful that God not only created this strange and unparalleled process, but how wonderful that God entered into it himself. The wonder of the incarnation is something that some philosophies just simply can't wrap their minds around. They reject it. If God is all-knowing, if God is all-powerful and all-present, why would he want to get messy with birth? Why would God want to enter into the stuff of his creation itself? Why would God, the Lord and creator of the universe, submit himself to such a lowly existence? An early church father says this in his hymn on the nativity. Today was born the child. His name was called Wonder. For wonder it is that God as a babe would show himself. We hear it too in St. Paul, this amazing thing, um, this mind that Paul advocates for the Philippians, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. How wonderful is the incarnation of our Lord. How wonderful is it that God desires to be made human so that he could rescue us. From the wonder of the incarnation, we move to marvel at the means of the incarnation. The virgin birth here is an impossibility made possible only by God's powerful action. All throughout scripture, beginning from the origin of the people Israel, we see God miraculously open the barren wombs of the matriarchs. Infertility in that day and age was seen as divine judgment, as if it wasn't bad enough, right? They were thought as the mark of God's displeasure. And this wonder that God performs again and again, making the barren to give birth, this wonder is a way of giving grace bit by bit. This is a way in which God points to the ultimate grace that he would extend to us as sinners through Jesus Christ. But with Mary, with the Virgin Mary, it's almost as though the Almighty is just showing off. Virginity is like the ultimate barrenness. It's totally not possible, right, to give birth. But our creators flourish in accomplishing the virgin birth after all of these other um, barrennesses that have been overcome. This is like a kind of fanfare, announcing something, someone, even greater than any of the previous great ones. The sign, the virgin shall conceive, is a sign for God's people that his judgment is over, that God is about to accomplish that long-promised salvation. What a possible impossibility in God. What a mystery loaded with beauty and with truth. John Donne, the Anglican clergyman and poet, wrote a poem about the Annunciation that dances around this wonder of this mystery. Forgive me for reading part of it to you. 
Salvation to all that will is nigh, that all which always is all everywhere, which cannot sin, and yet all sins must bear, which cannot die, yet cannot choose but die. Lo, faithful virgin, yields himself to lie in prison in thy womb, and though he there can take no sin, nor thou give, yet he'll wear, taken from thence, flesh, which death's force may try. Ere, ere by the spheres time was created, thou wast in his mind, who is thy son and brother, whom thou conceivest, conceived. Yea, thou art now thy maker's maker, and thy father's mother. Thou hast light in dark, and shuttest in little room, immensity, cloistered in thy dear womb. Mary is her maker's maker. Before the beginning of human history, she was a glimmer in the eye of her own son. What a wonder, what a mystery. And her response to the angel's announcement that she will supernaturally conceive this miracle baby, her response is one of humility and great faith, accompanied by grateful worship and joy. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, marvels at her faith in the one in whom nothing is impossible. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary goes on to worship the Lord in her song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary is in awe at the wonder of what God is doing. And she has some sense of why God is doing it. There is a wonder to the why of Jesus' coming. Why would God himself enter into a fallen and broken world? Why not give up on it? Why not destroy it and start over? That's what we would do, right? Just knock over the sandcastle and make another one. Well, no. Instead, God loves his creation, loves even us as sinful and broken people. Behind the fact of Jesus' coming to be born is the possible impossibility of his sacrificial love on the cross. We see it in the giving of the name Jesus. His name in Greek is Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. God, Yahweh, saves is what it means. And it's a clue towards what God is doing here. An angel separately told both Mary and Joseph that this would be his name, as if the name of Jesus is theological shorthand for all of what God has done in him on our behalf. In Jesus' name could be said to mean through the forgiveness of sins that we have through faith by God's grace as a result of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. In Jesus, God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary surely could not have foreseen how God would accomplish this salvation, not through the depths of her own son's suffering, but she gets a glimmer when she and Joseph go to the temple to present Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, there are two prophets who encounter them. The man, Simeon, prophesies to Mary that a sword will pierce through her own soul. There's a lovely book that I've been reading um, that talks about childbirth and being a mother and it's beautiful and it feeds my soul every day and there's one image that this woman an artist a writer talks about she had gone to Italy to of course go and visit the Sistine Chapel to see the work of Michelangelo 
And she came to the Pieta. And if you know what the Pieta is, it's that beautiful and huge statue of Mary holding the body of Jesus after he's come down from the cross. It's an amazing thing. I've never seen it in person, but even from pictures I can tell there are a couple of strange things about it. First, she's so big. The scale is so bizarre. And only a genius like Michelangelo would have done this on purpose. People have wondered, why is she so big and his body is so small in comparison? The other thing people have wondered about is, this is Mary after the cross. Why are there no lines on her face? Why does she look like the young girl that gave birth to the baby in the stable? Why is that? And some scholars think that this is a glimmer, just like what she got in the temple of what would come, that actually Michelangelo intends for us to see uh, Mary right after the birth of Jesus somehow flash forwarding, somehow um, experiencing the pain that any mother experiences at the suffering of her child holding a very small-sized Jesus, just like she would be holding her own baby. What a picture of anticipated sorrow and grief. And yet, what a wonderful thing, what a miraculous thing, that God would do that, that God would be born as a baby to come and save us, and then to die. And that is the wonder of the why of Jesus' coming. And as we receive the wonder of that why, why to come and save us, We receive it with humility, just like Mary received the news of the wonder of the the, um, virgin birth. We receive it in humility through repenting and receiving. We receive it in faith. We receive it with worship and gratitude. Wow, his name is wonderful, that he would love us that much. And so what now? We know all this. We know it. As Christians, we've heard it again and again. But what now for us this year, this Christmas, as we are um, waiting and laboring still? Because we are waiting. We're waiting for something else. We've been saved. Thank goodness. Or if you haven't, come and talk to me. But if we've been (laughs) saved, thank goodness. We know the wonder of Jesus' birth. We know the wonder of his death on our behalf. But we're waiting for something else, and we're not sure exactly what it is. And I experienced this um, same kind of thing, the wonder of what's to come. What is it that's to come for all of us, for those who are in Christ Jesus? Well, again, as you imagine, seven months in, I'm experiencing this wonder of waiting, this wonder of expectation. I know what's coming, and I believe it will come. I don't think I can get out of it now. But I've seen other people experience this wonder of birth. But I will not know what birth is like until it comes. So many people say, and rightly so, this will change your life forever. And I know it will, but I won't know it really until it does. And I even see this in the way I sense this baby's personality. She's a real human being with fists and elbows, knees and feet that remind me constantly of her presence. I sing and talk to her and suddenly she starts moving. But I will not know for real what she's like until I see her face to face until I spend time with her as the years unfold. One of my aunts has this way of saying something that I always think is patently false. And uh, this relates to what's to come. She always say when we're gathered together as a family, it doesn't get any better than this. 
and I love my family and I love good food and I love my aunts and I love being there but I also think no that's not true <laughs> it will get better than this I think about that you know we'll be swimming in the ocean it, it doesn't get any better than this she'll say it without fail every time and I think of that as being the same way people will look back on our lives look back on their lives and say wow high school those were the best days of my life or wow look at this or wow that was just so amazing um, and yet for all of us as good as we've experienced as much as we've experienced good in this life we've also experienced sorrow and hardship we've experienced suffering and sighing we've experienced sin and its worst effects and we have to trust that it does get better than this it gets far better than this as Christians we know that the best is yet to come Jesus will return and we'll spend eternity with him in the New Jerusalem. In Revelation 22, when the Apostle John sees the city of God descend to earth from heaven, he hears a voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The wonder, the wonder of what's to come for us as Christians causes us to cry out again with Isaiah, that name for Jesus. Wonderful. God has far better things in store for us than we could ever ask or imagine. We see in part now, in this in-between time, just like I see this daughter of mine in part, but not in full. The wonder, this wonder, the wonder of this long-expected child for me has helped to deal positively with the aches and pains, the fatigue, the swelling, and hopefully it will help with the painful saga of labor and delivery. The number one question I get when I run into a friend or a fellow Christian these days is, how are you feeling? <laughs> I think I've gotten it a few times this morning too, which is great. I love it. It's good. It's, it's, a, it's a, care, a sign of care and concern. It's a way of sharing this wonderful thing. And I usually don't tell people about the heartburn and the sleepless nights, <laughs> my swollen feet that just won't go down and had to get squeezed into these shoes this morning. I, I don't tell people about that because, because they don't really, they don't have time for that. But also <laughs> because I'm simply honestly so grateful that I actually get to be a part of this amazing and wonderful thing that I never thought I'd get to do. Something, it's something I've longed for for so long and ultimately it's something that will culminate in a miracle. Any amount of suffering right now for me is minimal compared to the joy that will come with new life. And Jesus understands this phenomenon of suffering and joy and he understands this and we hear it when he comforts his disciples in John 16, the night before his death. Listen to the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts 
will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So if you are feeling blue this Christmas, and that's something that we all feel from time to time, that's something even that some of us can't get out from underneath of, if you are laboring under sin or sorrow or suffering, remember the best is yet to come. And the wonderful one who has secured our future is faithful to bring it. What a wonder is in store for us as God's people. As St. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Let's pray. So, Lord, today we turn over to you in this in-between time. We turn over to you um, the longings of our heart, the waiting, the expectation, the suffering, the things that are going on in our life that we wish were not going on, Um, the sins, the things we just can't escape, that just keep coming back up. Lord, we turn them over to you. You've allowed us to experience them, and we trust you for it. And we trust in the wonder of your salvation and the wonder of your second coming. We know that the best is yet to come in you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would give us strength and courage by the power of your own Holy Spirit. Would you be the one to work even in the midst of the blueness, of the this-timeness, of the things that we can't escape in this life? Lord, would you be there, palpably present in them, Would you work through us? Would you give us a glimmer and a glimpse of joy everlasting to come? And so now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.